If you would take a copy of the scriptures and turn uh, to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Of course, the Gospel is not of Mark. It's written by Mark. This is the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Should we say the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 4. Let's read now the word of the God. Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, then when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come to you now in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. And we ask that you would send forth your spirit in power to prepare our hearts for the receiving of your word. Send forth your spirit to plow up 
hard-packed stony ground to remove the weeds and thorns and anything else in our lives that would choke out the wonderful gospel. And Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you make Christ altogether lovely to us and cause this word, this seed, to grow and to increase and to bear fruit for your glory. For it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. In context, Jesus has just finished a major confrontation with the scribes. The scribes, you see, that had came from, uh, from Jerusalem to Galilee. Uh, he had also had some opposition from his family. You see, his family hearing uh, what Jesus was doing, they had said that he was out of his mind, and they tried to come and take him by force. Their efforts failed. The scribes were saying that Jesus was possessed by a demon. And of course, Jesus very clearly, uh, at least in our point of view, <laughs> told the scribes, replied to the scribes, and, and showed them in parables how ludicrous their claims were. And then he warns of that sin which never has forgiveness, what we call the unpardonable sin. Jesus is still in Galilee in our passage today. We'll see that. We'll see that the accusations of the scribes have what? How much effect? Very little or no effect, at least on the crowds. Because the crowds, if anything, get even bigger. They increase even more. So much so that when Jesus teaches this passage today, what he's going to teach, he has to get in a boat and push off from the shore to give him some separation from himself and the crowd uh, so that he can teach them. Mark tells us in, in, ver in, in verse 1, again he began to teach beside the sea. Remember back in, in the previous chapters, he had, he had been by the sea teaching and he had a boat. Doesn't see he got in it, but he had a boat ready. Well, in this passage today, it says he actually used that boat. And so he had to separate himself uh, from the crowd so that he could uh, effectively teach them be kind of hard to preach a sermon if, if everybody was just crowding around up here and, and you know, hey, Jesus, heal me. Hey, <laughs> you know. Uh, and so Jesus gets some separation from the crowd uh, so that he can uh, effectively continue the kingdom message that he is giving. We will see in our passage today that he will, one, continue teaching in parables, and two, uh, he will explain in this passage why he is teaching in parables. And then he will explain the parable that he teaches. It is my deepest hope and prayer that the Holy Spirit would plow the ground of our hearts here today. I pray that he would remove the worldly weeds and the shallow rocks and yes, even plow up the hard packed pathway. Because that's a work that only he can do. Because if he does not do that work, the seed sown will be fruitless. And God's word promises that his word will go forth and will accomplish all that he has planned for it to accomplish. It will not return to him void, 
And so let's pray that God, the Holy Spirit, would do that here today in every heart. We're going to look at this passage in three parts. Part one is the parable itself. Part two is Jesus giving the reasons why he teaches in parables. And then, of course, part three will be the meaning or the interpretation of the parable. And this is one of the few times in Scripture where we actually have from the teacher himself the, the, the meaning of the parable. And so I don't, it's, I don't have a hard job here to, to try to, to pick this out and to go through all the Scriptures and say, well, what is Christ trying to teach his people? No, Jesus tells us exactly what he's trying to teach us. That does not make this sermon an easy sermon, though. And I pray that God will uh, give you ears to hear, as Jesus will say to the people. I pray that each one here today would receive the word and would properly respond to the word they receive and that your faith would grow and increase and produce much fruit. And so we come to the parable. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to go through each one and explain what that looked like in the Israeli culture. And, and that's not the meaning of the parable. And I, I think maybe even the emphasis is not necessarily on the meaning of the parable, but on the parable, the, the, the teacher of the parable and what the parable is. What, what the seed is. You know, when Jesus teaches in parables, most of his parables that he taught, he used agricultural terminology and word pictures, which is his audience would be familiar with. Maybe we're not familiar with that today, but they were a primary agrarian society. And so with the exception of maybe a few people that didn't actually get out and farm, they would understand. Hence, seeds, soils, sheep, goats, flocks, herds. They would understand, at least, uh, they would understand what Jesus is saying as far as the story itself. Now, they might not understand uh, what Jesus is trying to say to them spiritually, and we'll see that here today as well. I think, though, it's, it's, it's important to mention, though, how Jesus starts out this parable. He starts a parable with an imperative. What is an imperative? It's a command. The Greek word akuo is, is where this phrase comes from. Uh, and it means, listen to this. Jesus says, listen. He, he orders this, he, he gives this imperative. Listen. And then he says, behold, a sower went out to sow. Christ's command to, to listen was not just for the Jews standing on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. It wasn't just for the scribes and Pharisees who were among the crowd. But the command is still given today that Christ says, listen, because this is his word, and it is still relevant. 
Now, if we see this just as a history lesson, we're going to miss the whole point. We're going to miss the whole message. And so Jesus says to you, each one of you today, listen. We see, to the modern day reader or hearer of this message, we see what appears to be a haphazard way of sowing seeds. It's like the seeds aren't that valuable, and so the sower just throws them out wherever. We don't understand that. If you have done any farming, if you've ever planted a garden, you know that we don't do that. We spend much time uh, clearing the land, plowing the soil, plowing the earth, uh, tilling it in, uh, fertilizing, uh, uh, removing stumps and, and rocks and, and as much as, the, as we possibly can, the weeds and anything that would impede the growth. Because why do we plant? Primarily because we want to have a certain crop, either for food or for beauty or for whatever. But we have to remember we are a completely different society and a completely different time. I think R.C. Sprawl explains it really well. He says, at that time and place, the land was not cleared of stones and plowed before the seed was planted. Now, immediately, bells and whistles are going off for a few who planted a garden. Like, whoa, wait. But that's not the way they did things. He, he continues, the common way of planting was to go out and scatter the seed and then plow. In fact, the term plow has little relation to what we think of as plowing today. In ancient Israel, a plow was little more than a, a pointed stick with which one broke up the soil a little so that some seed would sink in. Seems rather haphazard to us, doesn't it? So Jesus says that there are, the seed has fallen in three different places. It has fallen on the hard-packed soil, it is, and the birds eat it, right? It's, it's fallen on soil that, that's shallow soil that has rocks, and so there's no depth, so when the sun comes out, it scorches it, and it, and it falls on uh, soil. Now, it doesn't say that the sower went and found the weeds and threw the seeds in there, right? He's probably referring to there was weed seed there, already in the soil. And so when the, when the crop starts coming up, what comes up with it is the weeds and the thorns and chokes out uh, the, the natural, or chokes out what the seed is, is trying to produce. And so he gives us these. Uh, um, three different, three different uh, soils, three different results. But then he says uh, a fourth one, a fourth soil. He said some seed fell into good soil and, and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Now we're going to see what that means later on in the sermon, but I think it's wonderful to point out here. That might not mean much to us, but would have definitely caught the, the attention of the Israeli farmer, the Jewish farmer. Okay, because to a Jew of Jesus' day that planted a crop, to get a crop that produced tenfold would be considered what we call today a bumper crop, a good haul. Jesus doesn't even go there. He goes beyond that. 
It says 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. That would have definitely caught the attention, especially of the farmers. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had seed like that. That produce like that. And Jesus finishes telling this parable. Now on the surface, we would say, what's he talking about? And I'm sure that a lot of the people there, most of the people, as a matter of fact, we know even the disciples wondered, what does that have to do with anything here? What does that have to do with us? You know, we're fishermen, tax collectors, whatnot. Jesus finishes his parable with a warning. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that's important because now he's going to tell us about two different groups of people in his audience. What he's saying is he who has, he who hears, let him keep hearing. You see, there, there's listening and there's comprehending and then there's doing something with, with what's what we've heard. Jesus is speaking of a hearing here that goes beyond physical hearing. He's saying there's a spiritual hearing. And you know that you have that spiritual hearing when hearing leads to obedience. So it's, a, it's not just a physical hearing that Jesus is calling the people to, but it's a, an obedient hearing. And a hearing that leads to, to something else, that leads to obedience. All of these messages, all of these parables, all these kingdom parables are what? Exactly what Jesus came to preach. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So each one of these kingdom parables is in itself a gospel message. And therefore Jesus says, He who has ears to hear... Let him hear. In verse 10, it says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. <clears throat> but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. In this teaching of Jesus, there are clearly two different peoples in this audience. Two different groups of people in this audience. Those who can hear and those who can't. Those who have been given spiritual ears and those who have not. Dear ones, this is a very clear teaching from Christ himself of, of several different doctrines, but namely unconditional election and irresistible grace. Unconditional election and irresistible grace. Because Christ is saying, especially in this word, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom. But to those outside, they haven't been given the secret. It has been hidden. 
Why? Why is it hidden? Lest they see and hear and they turn and repent and be forgiven. That's a very clear statement that some will never turn. Some will never be forgiven. And this comes right on the heels of Christ's teaching of that unpardonable sin, that sin that does not have forgiveness. And I think it's a follow-on teaching to that. Because he's talking about in the the, the unpardonable sin, a, a hardness of heart that never goes away. I think he's going to touch on that in this parable today. So there are people that God has chosen to save. And those people he has given spiritual ears to hear. And he savingly calls them through the power of the Holy Spirit by the gospel message to repentance and faith. And they come and they repent. And they believe. And then there are those who he does not spiritually call to repentance and faith. Oh, you're commanded to repent and to believe. But there are those that he does not spiritually call. Therefore, they do not hear. They do not repent. They are not forgiven. And so those are the two people that Jesus is speaking to. Those are the reason, that's the reason that he teaches in parables. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's not fair. We we don't do that today from the pulpit. We don't teach in parables. We very plainly say that God commands you to repent of your sins And to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any clearer than that. And yet there are still people. Who do not hear. Why? Because they stopped their ears. And because very possibly God has not given them ears to hear. And so our prayer is that everyone here present today would have ears to hear and hearts to obey. And so Jesus gets to the meaning now of the parable. And for, our, for all intensive purposes, that's the important part for us. Now the parable is important, but unless we understand it, it's meaningless And for those who heard the parable and did not get the the, the interpretation, okay, so so there's somebody out there that knows how to grow something. What what would you get from that parable? But it's important to see this, and Jesus, I think, says that here, or implies that. Understanding this parable is the key to understanding all of his parables. Because we are not given the definition or the meaning of each parable that Christ teaches. So we must look at what the meaning of this parable is and use this to interpret other parables. You know, that's the basic Bible interpretation. The Bible interprets the Bible, right? 
And Jesus himself gives us the interpretation. He says, the sower sows the word. What does the sower sow? The word. So the seed in the parable represents the word. And I believe the sower implied then is the one sowing Jesus. He's the one sowing the word in this case. And I think by extension, every preacher, evangelist down through time that has preached the word of God is still sowing the word. Christ is sowing his seed, his word, through the church. And so the word is what's being sown. The word, the gospel message. And it's clear. We need to see that very clearly. It's not just some stories that Jesus is telling. It's the gospel story. It's the gospel proclamation. It's the good news. And what is this good news? Well, Mark made it very clear in chapter 1, verse 15, when he said, the time is fulfilled. That's, this is the good news, right? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's the good news. Now there's a response that's required. Repent and believe the gospel. The king was here, is what Mark was saying. The king is here. The kingdom is here because the king is here. That's what Jesus was saying, right? Now, he didn't go around saying, I'm the king, I'm the king. That was too uh, hidden from those who weren't to see it. But the king was here and he had a message. His message was not a call to arms. Not a message of a worldly kingdom. No, his message was a call to repentance and faith. A call that only his people, and may I say all of his people, would hear and obey. The word of God says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep, and will seek them out. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. Ezekiel 34, 11 and 15. Turn with me, if you would, to John's Gospel. This is a familiar passage to us. John's Gospel. Let's take a few excerpts from chapter 10. Chapter 10, the... Shepherd and the sheep. I'm going to start in verse 14 and read down through 18, and then we'll skip down to 25 and read through 30. Starting in, in verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep, that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so that there will be one flock, one shepherd. 
For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And then skip down to verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. See, the king has come, and he came with a message. He was here, and he was on a mission. His mission was not to set up a physical kingdom in Jerusalem. His mission was not to raise an army to defeat Rome. His mission was to bind the strong man, Satan, and plunder Satan's house by giving himself as a ransom for many. His mission was to seek and save the lost. His mission was to defeat sin and death. The king was not on a military mission. He was on a mission of mercy. And that is the good news. That is the good news of the gospel. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand. The good news is that light has come into a dark world. Jesus has come to rescue his people. God's word says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. At Romans 5 we read, But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. The King has come, and he has a mission. Romans, in continuing in, in, in 8, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the king has come, and the king has a mission. His message is the proclamation of the good news, and his mission is to make sure that the rescue happens. He's come to rescue his people. In the words of, of Paul, that Christ Jesus came into the world. To save sinners. That's the king's message. That's the king's mission. And the king proclaimed that message in parables. 
But he didn't just come to proclaim the good news. This just wasn't an announcement. The king came to, to proclaim this good news, yes, but he also commanded a response. Repent and believe the gospel. That's a commanded response, dear ones. Do you know who Jesus is? Is he not the king of glory? And whether you acknowledge him or not, whether you bow the knee or not, he is your king. And your sovereign commands a response to his message. And that's a response of repentance and faith. Repentance, what is that? What is Jesus looking for when he commands repentance? It's a complete turning around. Now, it's not a 360. If you turn around a 360, you're going the same direction when you started. It's a 180. It's a reversal. It's the opposite direction. It's a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of life. And may I say a change of will. When Christ commands us to repent, he means for us to forsake our own efforts to get into his kingdom. He means for us to turn from our sinful ways and turn to him for forgiveness, who is the only sure Savior. But faith is required as well. Belief. What is faith? Faith is completely trusting in the finished work of Christ on your behalf. Can you face eternity and say beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am in Christ. I have nothing to fear. Are you willing to face the end of your days knowing that Christ has conquered death, that you have forgiveness in the in Christ. Faith means looking only to Christ for salvation. It is trusting in the promises of God's word, believing that Jesus as your federal head really and truly lived the life that you were supposed to but failed to. That's the righteousness of Christ. His, his active obedience. Believing that, that he did that for you. It's not just a substitutionary death, it's a substitutionary life. But you must believe also that his death was a substitution for you. And that dying, he died for your sins. And that through his death, burial, and resurrection, you have been brought into fellowship with God. You unite to Christ by faith, believing this. You believe that God raised him from the dead. You believe that Christ is now seated at the right hand of glory, making intercession for his people. And you believe that Christ will return for his bride. That's what it means to have saving faith. Believing in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just a, a mental head knowledge, but a heart experience. We talked about assurance this morning, and we have been talking about assurance for the past several weeks in morning Bible study. Do you have assurance? On what is your assurance based? On your performance? Or on Christ's performance? 
If you're to have true assurance, it must be based on Christ's performance. And it must be magnified in your life through your obedience, through your willing and joyful and loving obedience to your king. That's faith. That's repentance. Both responses are necessary. And both responses that are of, in and of themselves, excuse me, fruits of salvation. If God has given you spiritual ears to hear, God will give you the gift of faith and the gift of repentance. And these are not just one-time, you know, pay-at-the-door gifts. No. They're lifetime gifts. Eternal gifts. Of course, in all eternity, we won't have to repent of our sins when we reach glory because we will have no more sins. But we will ever, for all eternity, reap the benefits of what Christ has given us. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, is what the Holy Bible says. The living Word of God. And so Jesus says, the seed is the Word. The sower sows the Word. The Word is the Gospel. And there are different responses to this gospel. And so Jesus talks of four different responses to the gospel. The four soils. Some call this the parable of the sower. If you have little headings in your Bible, a lot of the Bibles will say the parable of the sower. I think more accurately it should be called the parable of the soils. Because the sower is sowing the seed in four different soils. And four different soils bring about four different results. Excuse me, two different results <laughs> described four different ways. First, we have the hard-packed soil, the words of Jesus and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Bible commentators call these the unresponsive hearers. The unresponsive hearers. They heard. It says right there. When they hear. So they heard physically with their ears the message. But they did not respond to it. They were indifferent to it. They ignored it. They were even hostile to it. And what happens? Well, the birds represent Satan. Satan swoops in by whatever means at his disposal and removes the word. Peer pressure. You believe in that religious nonsense? Really? No, no. Religion was for old-fashioned people that didn't have science and technology. They were superstitious. But we have science and technology now. We don't need religion. Satan will take those seeds out of your heart by any means necessary. 
if you hear the word and you fail to respond to it, don't expect that seed to stay there and germinate over a long period of time. And then finally one day maybe sprout and grow. You can't rely on that. You must respond upon hearing the word of God. And you must respond immediately and totally. These are the people that hear the king's message, but by choice, they do not respond. They are indifferent, hostile. Maybe not even hostile. There's indifferent people that could care less. They hear the word and it just, it's gone. <clears throat> and then there are those who are openly hostile to the word. We would say these are the hard-hearted hard-packed hearts. <clears throat> this is a very dangerous place to be. That of the four is one of the most dangerous places to be. They're all dangerous, at least the first three. And I say this is a very dangerous place to be because we have just looked at the unpardonable sin, the sin of hardening your heart against God. And every time you harden your heart against God, you're taking the chance that God will in turn harden your heart permanently. Don't be the hard-packed soil. Cry out to God for mercy that He would plow this packed soil in your heart to allow the seed to enter and to grow. Then we have the stony ground. These are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word immediately, receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises, on account of the word, immediately they fall away. These are what commentators call the impulsive hearers. They hear something that sounds good. They want to try that for a while. You know, we talked about this in one of the other passages. People that come to Jesus for the stuff, right? For what he can do for them. Uh, superficially, not eternally. You know, try Jesus. You've tried everything else, now try Jesus. It's like he's the last resort. He's your only resort. He's your only hope. But these people will come to Jesus. And with joy. This is... This is this is not a life choice. This is not a change of life. This is an emotion. We get that a lot today. That's used in a lot of modern evangelism. An emotional appeal. Let's, let's sing just the right music. Have just the right lighting. Maybe a little bit of fog. And we can get people to come. And, and, and make a decision. I decided to stay in my seat. No, this is, this is not true conversion. And we see that because Jesus says as soon as persecution arises, and oh, by the way, it will, if you are a follower of Christ. You know, this is, we could, we could be stony ground here, here today, couldn't we? And we won't know for sure. <laughs> Unless and until that persecution happens. 
We can sit here and say, oh, I would never deny Christ. Lord, I will die with you. <laughs> Look what happened to Peter. Fortunately, he wasn't a stony ground here because he was brought to repentance. These are the people that John describes. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. 1 John 2.19 Stony ground hearers. Shallow. Uncommitted. Christians. And then there are the thorns and the weeds. And others are one sown among thorns. What happens? As they're growing up, as the seed starts to grow, what grows with it? Thorns. And what happens? Chokes out the weed. I mean, excuse me, chokes out the, the seed, the good seed. And what does Jesus say that is? The cares of this world. The cares of this world. These are the distracted hearers. They hear the word, but they are distracted by everything else. They're distracted by worldly wealth. They're distracted by prestige, by social status, and what have you. Fill in the blank. What distracts you from Christ? What's your priority? What would keep you from, let's say, for example, oh, I don't know, public worship? Because we're not here to worship the preacher. We don't come here to worship each other. We come here to worship the triune God. What keeps you from that? Where are your priorities? Is it a football game? A sports activity? What? The pursuit of money? What distracts you? I pray that it's nothing. And if there is some things that distract you, repent. Turn away from those things that distract you. You do not want to be a person a distracted hearer. Because even though the first three are very different, they all have the same ending. They all are fruitless. The hard-packed soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, they are all fruitless, which means they are not true converts. And they know this argument has gone back and forth for, for ages. Well, can these be true converts that just, you know, uh, the carnal Christian controversy? That's an oxymoron. Carnal and Christian doesn't go in the same sentence. It shouldn't because there's no such thing. There's no, you cannot be carnal and be a Christian. Yes, you still war against the flesh. That's very real. But you cannot be carnal and be a Christian. You can't be a rocky ground hearer. You can't be a thorny ground hearer and be a Christian. You can't be superficial. You can't be distracted. You're either committed to Christ totally or not at all. Jesus said no one can serve two masters. 
Either he will love the one and hate the other, he'll be committed to one and not to the other. You can't serve God in money. You must be totally committed to Christ 100% all the time. We don't compartmentalize our beliefs. We don't compartmentalize our faith. We don't give Christ a, a tenth. Yeah, I tithe to Christ in my life, a tenth of my life. Actually, the Lord's Day is not even a tenth, is it? If you give him just an hour or two. No, we are committed to Christ totally, all the time. Or we're not at all. And so these first three soils, they don't bear anything. They're fruitless. But the fourth, is there's, there's, a different, there's a difference in the fourth soil. Because the fourth soil, he says, is good soil. <clears throat> good soil because it has been rightly prepared. It has been rightly prepared to receive the seed. In other words, the Holy Spirit has plowed up the rocky ground. The Holy Spirit has removed the weeds and the thorns. And he has made the soil good. He has put everything in the soil that is needed. We see that in, in Ezekiel, do we not? And I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's the, the working of the Holy Spirit, preparing your heart to receive the word. And there is fruit. Jesus says, you will know them by their fruit. And this isn't, this isn't just one seed, one plant. This is one seed up to a hundredfold. Your life will produce, if you are truly in Christ, you, your life will produce fruit. You're not going to be the one that buries your talent in the ground and waits for the, the master to come back and say, hey, this is what you gave me. You're going to produce fruit. And this means, in the text it says, an increase. In other words, you're going to produce fruit. This is not just a, a one-time crop. This is a continual production. You will increase. You will produce fruit. You will continue to produce this fruit. God the Holy Spirit will continue to produce that fruit in you. To his glory. The results are plain. There are four, so four soils talked about. And Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So that begs the question, which of the four soils best describes you here today? That's a very important question. First of all, did you hear the parable and its meaning? And when you hear the gospel message, what response do you have? Indifference? Superficial? Distracted? Or do you repent and believe and produce fruit that glorifies your king? Where are you at today? If you don't leave here with anything else today, leave here with that question. Which of the four soils 
best describes you. And what are you going to do about it? Look to Christ or continue looking at everything else? Flee to Christ or flee from Him? You can't get away. You can't get away. He will either give you a new heart and change you or He will cast you into outer darkness. Is your heart hard? Do you spurn the word of God? Do you treat it indifferently? Don't do that. It may be the very last time that you're able to harden your own heart. Unless God changes you. Because he very well could harden it permanently. Has it warmed your heart? Does it make you feel good inside? Well, the gospel should make you feel good about who you are in Christ. It shouldn't make you feel good about yourself. Nothing, there's nothing good about ourselves. And the gospel clearly points that out. We must look to Christ. Do you avail yourself constantly of the means of grace God has given to His church? <clears throat> Dear ones, that's the, the only way we can truly have assurance. It's through the means of grace and through our use of them. Now, there is a, a false fruit. You ever seen the plastic fruit that comes in the little bowls and stuff? You know, it looks pretty, pretty real from a distance. But upon close inspection, you can see it's fake. Well, we can produce fake fruit. And maybe the only one that can see that is the Holy Spirit. Let's pray that he will produce in us true and lasting fruit. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Let's bear fruit for our king today. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, king of all, Lord of all, head of your church, Bless us today with your gospel message. Send your Holy Spirit, your sanctifying spirit of grace to be in every heart here today. Father, we ask that you would remove the distractions in our lives, that you would cause us to look to Christ, that you would remove the weeds and thorns, that you would even break up the hard, fallow ground of the paths that the seed, the gospel message, may produce much fruit to your glory. Would you do this for the sake of your people? And in your great mercy and love, <clears throat> magnify Christ in our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.